Welcome to this Niche AudioCast. My name is Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader here at Niche. Today you're going to hear a webinar that's been converted to a podcast so you can listen on the go. You can find all the resources that are mentioned as well as the original recording on the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find at niche.bz insights. Enjoy. Um, again, good morning or good afternoon, depending on where you're signing on from. I'm Angela Brown. I'm the manager of B2B Brand Strategy at Niche. And today we are taking a journey through the funnel using our 2023 K-12 parent survey, which just launched this week on the Enrollment Insights blog. So I'm going to give us about one more minute, and then we will go ahead and get through some housekeeping, some overarching themes that you're going to see throughout the presentation and the survey itself, and then we'll dig right into the content. Looking at our quick overview of the survey, this is the fourth year that we've done this survey. We had a little over a thousand responses and it was open from June 30th to August 8th of this year. So this is very, very fresh data. These were all parents who had a student who was entering kindergarten or 12th through 12th grade at a new school going into the fall of 2023. So these are parents who just went through this process and it's very, very current information. We also have this QR code and short link for you. If you haven't had a chance to dig into the survey in depth, you can scan that or grab that link. And we're gonna keep moving, but I'll also have this for you at the end of the presentation. Now, the key observations and themes that I wanna call out before we jump in, starting with, Competition is very real. We added a lot of new questions to the survey this year so that we could really dig into what prospective parents and guardians were doing at different points in time. And one of the things that we wanted to know was how many schools are they looking at on average, right? We typically see that people are looking at around four schools on the niche platform, but we wanted to have a broader idea of just how many schools we're talking about as parents are going through this process. And as it turns out, they're looking at quite a few, usually three or more. And we'll dig into that a little bit more in the coming slides. We also saw that digital channels are very much driving the school discovery process. This was a question we introduced in 2022, where we asked, where did you first discover the schools that you considered for your child or children? And so that's looking very much at the top in the awareness stage for the 80% of parents who are starting from scratch when they're putting together that list of schools, we wanted to know where they were turning first. And as you'll see in the coming slides, with the exception of word of mouth, Google and platforms like Niche, like Great Schools, et cetera, those are the places that they're going. Parents also want to hear what it's really like from other parents. Those two things are very much related. And we also found that they need to like what they hear if they're going to move forward. So another question that we asked was, what would cause you to remove a school from your list as you're going through the process? And you'll see that that's another area where parent voice becomes critically important. They want to hear from their peers and they want to hear good things before they move forward with an institution. Platforms like Niche are the preferred online research tool for comparing schools. We asked about that. That was another new question this year. And that research really matters because what we also asked was, 
what was the first point of contact that you made with the schools that you considered? And while you might assume that it would be an inquiry form or an email or a phone call, in actuality, it was coming to an enrollment event on campus. And so nearly a third of parents surveyed said that they attended an enrollment event before they did anything else. And what that tells us is they're doing a lot of research and digging on their own before they're getting to that stage of the process. So that's a really helpful thing to know. And then the appetite for high tuition costs, this is an interesting one. If you listen to a recent podcast that I did with Julie Falstick from Stony Creek Strategies, we talked about this at the end. Tuition is something particularly among independent schools that's been debated, discussed for some time, but no, very few schools have addressed it, and the ones that have tend to address it with um, tuition reductions or resets. It's still an issue, and for most schools, you can expect that figure to go up three to five percent every year with no signs that that's necessarily slowing down. And so what we're seeing with our parents is they're starting to lose patience with that, and tuition cost is becoming more and more of a player in the decision-making process. And so that was another thing that we thought was very interesting and we'll come back to in a bit. And then this last point is that kids are still very much involved in this process. We introduced a question in 2022 to quantify just how involved prospective students were in the process. And not only did that percentage go up, it's extremely high when you look at kids in the seventh through 12th grade range. So those older students are really deeply involved. One of the things that I've been saying a lot is if parents are in the driver's seat, the prospective student is in the passenger seat and they're really driving down that road to an ultimate decision together. So if you do not have a strategy in place for engaging with prospective students, now is the time to do that because they are very much involved and it's just as important to make sure that you earn their consideration as the parents and guardians. And now we're going to get into the good stuff. So one thing that I want to add here that I alluded to earlier is that we made a change in the way that we are presenting the data for this particular survey, both in the webinar and on the Enrollment Insights blog, because we wanted to actually walk you through what parent behavior and preferences look like at different funnel stages. So even though this is something that's very common in the business world, it's not so common with schools, and we thought it would be really helpful to show you exactly what you need to focus on and when you need to focus on those things. One example that I used in a presentation that I did earlier this week is that you hear this ongoing debate around digital channels versus print and old school versus new school. We even did a presentation around that at our summer camp back in August, but that's not actually asking the right question. The right question to ask is, what should I be investing in and focusing on if I need to fill the top of my funnel, if I'm really concerned about converting families who have attended events, but I can't get them to get their application materials in. You know, if you have an issue with kindergarten and you're trying to recruit kindergarten families for a public school or public school district, those are the questions to ask instead of making these really broad generalizations. And so there are some areas where we see, yes, certain things play a very big role at one place in the process, but they may not necessarily play a very big role later on. One of the things that you'll see later is a list of channels that really move the needle when it comes to enrollment. So we'll come back to that and dig a little bit deeper on that. Um, so we're gonna start here with the initial awareness stage and go from there. 
And we actually, with a new question this year, wanted to back things up even further. In the past, if, you've, if you're very familiar with this survey and you've looked at previous versions, we used to have a question that asked, what would cause you to leave your child's school? And that question was actually misplaced because we're talking to parents who just made a school change. They don't necessarily know the answer to that question. And so what we thought was more helpful was to say, what made you decide that you needed to make a change going into this year? What was that catalyst moment or trigger that made you say, okay, it's time for me to make a change for my family? And so academic concerns were at the very top, followed by an equal measure athletic opportunities, another school earning a higher ranking, and a negative experience with a teacher or administrator. And there was sort of a long tail experience from there. And so if you're flipping this and looking at it from a retention standpoint, parents really care about academics, but that can look like different things. One thing that we saw was fairly common in some of the open-ended comments was issues with communication, school to home communication, and challenges for students with learning differences. So even though we didn't have a ton of parents who considered schools that specialized in learning differences specifically, there were quite a few who said, you know, I had a student who had certain needs and there was either no plan to meet them or the plan was really ambiguous or I wasn't happy with it. And so what I think both of those point to is just being in a position where you can accommodate the students that you have and also clearly, clearly, clearly communicating about it. This is something that we actually highlighted in the blog post where we pulled some of those open-ended comments through communication between teachers and parents, between administrators and parents, between coaches and parents was just a recurring theme over and over and over again. Um, so that's something that's really good to keep in mind. And then this has become a fairly standard question for us, but we think it's helpful to ask every year because things change. Um, and so we had the, oh, sorry, I've got a couple people who are asking questions that I will come back to, I promise. Okay, so coming back to when the search started, we see a good percentage of families that are kind of waiting until the last minute in that three month window, followed by 20% in three to six months before enrollment. And then the majority of respondents were in that six months to a year timeframe. Now, the reason why it's helpful to always kind of have a, a sense of this, and we also watch the percentage of families who only consider local public schools, because that's always helpful to know, um, is that it, it just underscores the fact that there is no traditional admission cycle anymore. Parents are looking all the time. And so even though we have some majorities of parents that are looking at different times, even though we have traffic patterns that spike at certain times of year on the niche platform, we do know that this is something that's happening year round. And so the takeaway here is if you are actively recruiting, you should be actively recruiting year round. And if you are in a situation where, let's say you're completely full or you have wait lists for certain grades, make sure that you're being really clear about that, not just on your website and on your niche profile in, in other sort of extensions of your digital presence. But if there are consultants that you work with, if there are student access groups that you're connected to, make sure that they're aware as well so they're not sending families to you who don't have a chance at actually getting in.
Now, this question was first introduced last year, as I mentioned, and it goes back to one of the highlights that I called out earlier. So when parents are first discovering schools in the awareness stage, these are the top ways that this is occurring. So 20% of the families that we surveyed were already familiar with the schools that they considered, but 80%, as I mentioned, were starting from scratch. And so when that happens, they go to Google, word of mouth, they ask their friends, their neighbors, their colleagues, and then they go to school search and review platforms like Niche. So in terms of the to-do list for you coming out of this first section, again, making sure that you're prepared to market to and engage prospective families year round. And, um, and that can look like a lot of different things, a lot of different channels. We'll get into to a few more of those as we go through the presentation, but marketing is not something you wanna turn on and off at certain points in time. And so if you are running digital ads, either on social or display ads through the Google search or display network or in Bing, other places, you wanna make sure that you are staying on top of those and that your messaging aligns with what you need at a different point in time. So if you are actively trying to fill your funnel, you wanna make sure you're driving awareness to your events. Um, you wanna make sure that you're doing some more branded advertising. If you are trying to drive attention to a specific initiative at your school or a new program, you wanna emphasize that, but you don't wanna just set and forget things based on the traditional admission cycle. One question I've seen in the past is, should we be marketing our school in the summer? The answer is yes. <laughs> and so I would I would continue to do that um, and, and make sure that this is something that you're staying on top of. And for districts, that means you don't only want to focus on student recruitment efforts at specific times. You know, people relocate. Sometimes they just change their minds about where they want their children to be. So that's something that you want to be ready for. And then next, you want to make sure that you are making the right impression through the mediums that we know parents are turning to first at this stage in the process. So make sure you're investing in SEO. Make sure you're maintaining your presence on school search and review platforms, leveraging word of mouth, which we'll come back to you in a bit, because again, we're seeing that your current families have a massive, massive impact on recruiting new ones. And that's just something that's a recurring theme throughout the process. Now, at this stage, parents and guardians are starting to get an idea for which schools they want to actively compare. And we introduced a few new questions to get even more insight into that process. So starting with the number, as I mentioned, um, so 64% of parents considered three or more schools and they weren't all the same type. So this is important as you think about how you might be benchmarking you against other institutions, but also what, when you think about your process, because your school is highly unlikely to be the only one they're considering. And so you wanna really think about how much juggling they're doing to compare and apply to multiple institutions, to visit multiple institutions, and whether or not you have processes in place that make that easier or more challenging. So that's just something to think about. And then as we get into um, our preferred online research tools, this is another callback to the earlier slide where, oh, come on, there we go. <laughs> another new question this year was about the online research tools that families prefer to use in this process. And so this is what we learned. 
And you start to see that the role of other parents just continues to be really important throughout the process. And so what all of these channels have in common is that they're all vehicles for gathering feedback from other parents and guardians. And so that's, that is something that we kept seeing over and over and over again. Now, this is one of my favorites. <laughs> this is also a new question. And this is important because we found that a school can be taken off the list just as easily as it can be added. And so this was another new one that we asked this year. And again, we see that role of current families and other parents as a major factor in the decision-making process. So 70% said difficulty finding reviews or negative feedback from current parents would keep them from moving forward with a school. And then almost equally, we saw lack of community diversity, negative interactions with school staff, negative visit experience, that on-campus experience is something that's going to come up again and again, um, and lack of available financial aid, which I, I thought was interesting. And it's sort of a companion to what we're hearing about um, how they're prioritizing affordability. This was another new question, and the top result was actually a surprise for us. So as I mentioned earlier in the presentation, nearly a third of parents are showing up on campus before they do anything else. And then you have that percentage of stealth applicants in the mix who apply or enroll without any prior contact with a school. That's something that we've been talking about for some time, and that kind of makes an appearance here again. And so, as I said earlier, what this tells us is that parents are doing a lot of research on their own, and that likely includes talking to their peers instead of engaging directly with the schools before they attend an event or even enroll. So that just speaks to that sort of third-party marketing that still needs to be happening beyond the channels and platforms that you control directly. And to drive that home, point home even further, we asked this question last year and we saw increases across the board. So we asked about the importance of, or influence of reviews from other parents on school search and review sites, parents of students who were currently enrolled at the schools that they were considering, parent feedback in social media groups, blogs, or online forums. We're all familiar with the Facebook parent groups and depending on where you live, I'm in the DC area and we have a forum here called DC Urban Moms and Dads that is a blessing or a curse depending on which school you are. And then other parents who just happen to be going through the process. And so we see here again, other parents are really, really important. People wanna know what their peers are doing and this aligns very well with other forms of social behavior where it's all about what's happening around you. So in terms of what this means for you, it's really important to know your competition. Um, I'm actually going through our professional survey data right now. And there are some schools that do a good job with this, but others that could probably do this a little bit better. So knowing that parents are often considering multiple schools at a time, it's important to know who they're comparing you to and why, and making sure that you really deeply understand the value proposition and marketing tactics that those schools are using. And you may, you may be surprised, you know, sometimes you might find out that your peers are not who you think they are, and that's an important exercise to go through. I mentioned owning that narrative on the platforms that they trust and maintaining it. So as you are going through any profiles that you might have on third-party sites, maybe in the summer ahead of the official start of the more traditional admission season, 
don't just set it and forget about it until the following year. It's something that you want to make sure that you're maintaining and nurturing. Knowing what that word on the street is about your school is very important. I mentioned some of these forums and blogs and parent groups. I am not suggesting at all that you spend your day keeping a tab with Facebook open and scouring groups all day, but even just setting up a, a simple Google search about your school, um, which I would recommend doing anyway, can help you get some insights into what some of those conversations look like. Cultivating a culture of customer service for your frontline workers. This is a really, really important one that I've mentioned in other presentations that I've done where I've talked about events. And I actually have a podcast episode coming up in November where I'll be talking to a school that's done this really well in Florida. And this just speaks to a couple of things. One, we saw that negative interactions with you know school personnel is something that can be very influential in a family's experience at your institution. That's not something that you want, but we also see that that on-campus experience when they're going through this process is really important. So if you don't have the right people delivering the right experiences at the right time, that's gonna become problematic. And so really partnering with other members of your leadership team, with other colleagues to make sure that the admissions office or the enrollment office is not or that even the principals and assistant principals, you know, if, if you're in a public school, they can't be the only ones providing good service. The people in the front office can't be the only ones providing good service and smiling when visitors come onto campus. So that's something to really take a look at. And tangentially, really, actually not even tangentially, directly related to that, is making sure your on-campus experiences deliver. So this is something I've talked about in the past where I've actually suggested that once a year you audit your admission events just to see what it's like as an outsider looking in. So take off your name badge, take off whatever hat you wear day to day at your institution and go through the process of registering, see what it's like to receive your comm flows, see what it's like to get information leading up to an event. Are you getting the right information when you get there? What is that like? How easy is it to find parking for visitors? Who is opening the door for people as they're coming into campus? Who's greeting them? What's the registration process like? Once the process gets started with the event, are people starting to look at their phones? When does that happen? Those are all important things for you to take a step back and look at to make sure that you're delivering the best possible experience with your on-campus events. And then we've got our tools and influencers at the bottom. And don't worry, you will get a copy of these slides. So if you want to grab these and write all over them, you'll be able to do that afterward. And now it is decision time. And so this is typically happening in the spring for families going on a typical admission season timeline. Sometimes it's earlier, sometimes it's later, um, but it's also when we see people come back to the platform in droves because families applying to private school in, in, in particular have received their acceptances. Other families might just be ending a not so great year. So they're starting the process at this time. They're really starting to think, you know what, maybe it's time for a change. But here we're gonna look at what parents told us about this stage of the process and what it means for you. Now, if you have seen our 2022 survey, this should look pretty familiar because these channels haven't really changed year over year. In fact, they've actually all increased 
So school websites were up six percentage points. Visits increased eight percentage points. School search and review sites were up four percentage points. Email was up 11 percentage points. Social media was up four percentage points. And brochures and view books were up four percentage points. And this is one that I, I wanted to call out. I mentioned earlier the importance of thinking about different materials at different points in time. And I, I think view books and brochures and that type of collateral tends to come up a lot. There was a point in time in the independent school world where I came from where people were debating whether or not view books were dead and all of that. And what we're actually seeing is that where a lot of schools tend to give out view books much earlier in the process, it actually makes more of a difference here because this is the point where they've come to the events, they've gotten the emails, they've done all the things, and now it's kind of nice to have something physical that they can hold in their hands and flip through and compare and contrast side by side. You know, so it's, again, it's just a matter of figuring out what makes sense at what time and not just throwing the baby out with the bathwater because we've been debating digital versus print for many moons at this point. And so we also wanted to drill down a bit more on the social media piece so that we could be more prescriptive in terms of which channel schools and districts should be prioritizing. And even though this list hasn't changed, we have seen a bit of movement. And again, we're seeing the impact of other parents and members of your community. Those Facebook groups have become really important, even slightly more so than organic posts. That is not to say that you should stop posting on Facebook. Facebook is still great for general, um, you know, just kind of seeing what, what a day in the life looks like, getting a bit of a teaser of what's happening in a community before you join. It's also really solid for retention. So definitely don't discard that. Instagram is continuing to creep up and then we see that YouTube stayed flat. But if you are looking to get into video um, when it comes to prospective parents and you have not explored YouTube yet, then there's a little bit of an opportunity there for you. And now we ask again about the students and they are, as I mentioned at the very beginning, continuing to play a really big role. So 67% this year said that their children played a role in their school choice. That's up seven percentage points from 2022. And when we filtered that for parents of students between seventh and 12th grade, that actually jumped up to 79%. So quite a few are getting involved there. And of course, we wanted to know what's driving their decisions as well. So even though this is anecdotal, what's nice about having data on the K-12 parent side, but also having data on the high school student side um, with what Will Patch does with our higher ed surveys, talking to high school juniors and seniors, I tend to get some validation for some of the things that I see here. And so a lot of this is very close to what we're seeing on that side. Um, so in terms of tools and communications, we actually saw that email dropped off the list of top channels. Um, that doesn't mean that you should pump the brakes and stop doing it, but it's a little less of a driver at this moment in time. And I know email can be a little controversial, especially with younger kids. It's not really something I recommend. Some institutions aren't even permitted to get email addresses from um, students under the age of 18. So there can be some greater complexity there. Um, but all of these other things you have absolute control over. Um, and yes, students are looking at reviews too. Um, so that means that 
incorporating students into your review campaigns that I hope you're doing at least once a year is something that's really important because one thing that we see time and time again is that students want to hear from other students. So really important. Um, a great segue into social media. So one thing that I predicted last year was that TikTok was going to catch up with YouTube and it did. And that is something that I continue, I expect to continue to see grow in future surveys. One thing that I heard a lot um, last year when we first introduced this question was, you know, so many students use TikTok, why isn't higher on the list? And we see this in the higher ed spaces world as well. Just because a lot of people use a platform doesn't mean that they're using it for the thing you want them to use it for. And what that means is, yes, there are millions and millions of students in Generation Alpha and Gen Z on TikTok. Are they using it to search for schools? Not necessarily, right? And so we're seeing that grow, but searching for schools and school-related content is behind some of the other things that they might be looking for. So that's just something to keep in mind, just because a new channel, even though TikTok is not so new anymore, has a lot of users, it doesn't necessarily mean that all of those users want to hear from you. So you have to be thoughtful about that as you're planning your content strategy. And so this is a question that we ask every year. And this was one where, as I mentioned, that price sensitivity was very clear, where we had 60% of parents saying that tuition cost was an important deciding factor. And it was almost a 10% increase from 2022. So that was pretty noticeable. Campus safety has also maintained its position in the top three for the second year in a row. And I want to be clear about what that means. There's a question about this that came in in advance, so I'll dig into this a little bit more later, but by campus safety, we're really talking about security. And post-pandemic, we made a conscious decision to make sure that we were separating campus security from social-emotional safety or social-emotional um, programming because they are two very different things. So we are talking about physical safety. We're talking about parents who wanna know rightfully that they can send their child to your school every day and they're gonna come home, if, if we're being completely honest. And so last year, we thought that this might've been a temporary lift because the survey was released so, so soon after the school shooting that happened in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, but it showed up again this year as a major priority. And this is notable because in previous years, I actually looked back at earlier versions of this survey, campus security was a lot lower of a priority for families across age groups. It's typically around 30% of parents were saying this was an important factor. Um, so this is a pretty big swing. I don't necessarily think this is going to change significantly um, unless some external factors change. And so this is an area where there has been some debate that I've seen around how specific you should be about your campus security protocols if you have them um, and what, what to introduce at what points in time. But if you have strong campus security protocols in place, even if you can speak to the number of people that you have in place, what is the process for people having access to the building, very, very general things that can help a family have some peace of mind, again, especially since we know that a lot of families are doing all of this research 
on their own before and then they're just they're just coming onto campus you don't necessarily want to wait until they're there for an open house to have your director of security or someone who oversees operations to talk about that because they might not get that far so this is something that has clearly shown itself to be a big priority among families so aside from that the remaining to-do list based on these data points i think the biggest takeaway for this survey in general and this presentation in, in particular is that it's important to understand which channels make sense at different stages of the funnel. So for example, even though tactics like billboards and radio ads did not show up as big drivers for discovery or enrollment, um, they were so low that you'll see they're not even listed <laughs> in the blog post, um, but it's possible that they might make a difference for that 20% of families who knew which schools they wanted to look at because of brand awareness, right? So, you know, they could still have a place. There are some geographic regions where I've heard anecdotally from marketing professionals that things like print ads and local magazines still make a difference. That didn't necessarily show up in our data. Um, so I'd be interested in learning a little bit more about where people are getting that data from internally, but different things matter at different points in time. And even though your social channels may not have a major impact in the awareness stage, they can help with the decision-making process. Um, as well as retention and positive word of mouth. So again, you know, keep keep plugging away on those social channels. We showed you which ones you can focus on. Um, so you don't necessarily have to, to jump into everything all at once. Knowing that reviews matter year round, you wanna make sure that you're keeping yours current. Um, it's a little frustrating to see that Google reviews are important to families because I don't think they necessarily realize that they're so hit or miss for K-12. Um, but that just reinforces the importance of making sure your presence is up to date on other channels and that you're maintaining your Google My Business profile. So you definitely wanna be doing that. Making sure that you understand prospective students just as well as parents. Um, that is a really, really big one, especially from the middle school on up. If you have done some persona development in the past for your prospective parents and guardians, I highly recommend doing that exercise for prospective students. Um, which you should be able to do both with some of your own data around what your student population looks like demographically, but also talk to some of your ambassadors, put together some focus groups with your current students and, and really learn, you know, what they looked for when they were evaluating schools and, you know, what they like and don't like. It's important to get that kind of feedback. And it's really helpful to have such a captive audience there, give them some snacks, you know, spend an hour with them and, and pick their brains. So you can make sure that you're engaging with prospective students in ways that are going to resonate with you. Really, really important. And then also, that's a great alley-oop into just leveraging your own data when you can to inform your strategy. So taking what I've laid out here, but also layering it over surveying your, your new families. So you know exactly which awareness tactics were decision drivers for you. And, you know, again, print ads might work in some markets. Um, it didn't necessarily show up here, but it is really helpful to, uh, to ask, you know, members of your community about the things that resonate with them. And we'll come back to that too with some of these pre-submitted questions. So here we are officially in Q&A land. I try to keep the presentation nice and tight so we could get to as many questions as we could. 
So this first one is, are there any statistics on retention strategies? We know why they're leaving, why are they staying? This is from Christina, I don't know if she's on. I was not clear if this was referring to how schools have reported on retention, because that's actually a different survey that's coming out next month. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, we flipped this question because the reality is why people stay is often the inverse of why they leave. So you can find a lot of direction there um, with some of the things that I talked to earlier. And I, again, I would also pay attention to the section we highlighted on school to home communication because that came through as a very big challenge. Then we had Jessica ask, what are some methods to bring parents from inquiring to applying? I feel like that could be its own presentation, um, but to keep it simple and quick, honestly, it can be as simple as just keeping in touch. So this is something where automation is really helpful. A lot of schools have actually been doing this for some time. And so um, if you capture one of those parents who is willing to submit an inquiry form instead of just showing up, um, then getting them into an email nurture sequence and making sure that you're providing them with clear communication to nurture them through the process is going to be really helpful to you. And that's everything from attending events to meeting deadlines for application materials, but also weaving some things in, you know, make sure it's not just email after email after email. If they express an interest in something specific, have a video from a student or an administrator who is deeply involved in that area embedded in one of your videos, you know, so it's not just an ongoing to-do list. I think a lot of, especially if you're a school that has an admissions process, it can feel like a lot of you just asking parents to complete tasks. And so you definitely want to mix that up a little bit. Um, and this is a little sneaky, but it is something that I have done in the past. Don't be afraid to do a little bit of secret shopping when you get that list of other schools around you that your prospective families are also considering just to see what their nurture sequences look like. And you will inevitably find, you know, some good ideas, but also things that you might not want to do. Go nationwide, pick a few schools that um, that you admire, you know, and, and enter yourself into those nurture sequences just to see what they're doing. And you can come up with some pretty good ideas. So don't be afraid to do some secret shopping as well. This is, I think, Kathy Ray. Um, did the survey encounter any parents seeking a democratic school Sudbury model? Um, so one of my favorite sayings from um, another data analyst from Mission and Data, his name's Ari Betoff. Um, they are the official data partner, I believe, for both the Enrollment Management Association and the Association of Boarding Schools, is that when data becomes too specific, you're comparing yourself basically to yourself. And so I would caution people to be really careful about drilling down too much because you get to a point where your bench your benchmark is you and that's not helpful, right? And so this is also something that we really try to watch for with our survey readouts. Um, this is why we don't do interactive, um, you know, tables on our K-12 readouts because our sample sizes have a tendency to be a little bit smaller than they are in higher ed. And you could filter to the point where you're comparing yourself to yourself and that's not helpful. So the last time I checked, there are only about 60 schools globally that are using this model. So we actually didn't ask about this model specifically. 
I would say if you are part of an institution that's part of a very, very niche group of schools, check and see if there are any professional associations that are aligned with that that might have some data to support you because um, it's probably a little too specific for us. Okay, this is from Lisa. Do you have an analysis of families based on their economic status? I can imagine their influences are noticeably different than more privileged families. Guess what? They are not. So every time we do a survey, we look for outliers, both in terms of what we report um, overall and then with income data and geographic data. This is why we provide really nice and tight, like most and least information without getting into the super itty bitty nitty gritty anymore because that's not as helpful. Um, and it can actually be distracting. And we layer that with income data and geographic data where it makes sense. And so if we see a big difference, we report it. And if we don't, we don't because there's nothing to report. So for areas in the survey where we notice significant differences, you'll find those in the write-up that's on the blog. And I actually gave a version of this presentation to a network of schools earlier this week that specifically serves low-income students. And there were actually very few differences. So at the end of the day, what we're seeing is that parents across geographies and incomes want the same thing for their children's education. And they're using a lot of the same methods to find them. So in this survey, the biggest differences we found were that low to middle income families are even more likely to use Google search and Google reviews. They are even more focused on campus security when they're evaluating um, and choosing to stay at schools. And they are more likely to lean into online forums and Facebook groups in the search process. And then of course, no surprise, this is a group that's slightly more likely to be more sensitive to higher tuition costs and to make decisions based on that. Um, and then the one thing we noticed with students is that community events, a school's presence at a community event actually played a bigger role in the decision-making process for them. And that was, that was it. And this is how can we find parents when and where they're looking for a new school? Um, so I spoke to that a little bit in the presentation. If you go back to slides seven and eight, which you'll have copies of, we talked about the different timeframes for when parents started the search process and the channels that they used. I would actually focus on those catalyst and awareness channels and worry less about timing because as I mentioned, people are looking year round. So you wanna make sure that you're investing in those awareness stage channels 365, 24-7. Marlon asked, how does Niche help a parent decide to tour a prospective school? I love this question. So Niche, out of the box, helps with SEO, and then it helps with things like rankings, grades, and high-level comparison information. But from there, it's really up to you. So similar to your website, your niche profile should provide context and information that makes a prospective parent want to learn more. So do your students look happy? Is the community diverse? Do you have the supports in place that they're looking for? Ultimately, you have to put yourself in a prospective family's shoes and think about what they need to know to want to take that next step. And that is the kind of information that you should be emphasizing. And hopefully there's a lot of good ideas in this presentation. Anne wants to know, how are the results different geographically? So this is similar to the income question. They really weren't. Um, 
The one thing that we typically see is pretty obvious that in coastal cities, there's slightly less sensitivity around tuition price. And one thing that we saw again this year is that families in the South are slightly more concerned about campus security. But that makes a lot of sense when you think about where a lot of recent school violence incidents have occurred. It's in that region. Um, but beyond that, very, very similar um, results across the board, across incomes and across geographies. Where we have a tendency to see more differences is when we talk to the schools and the way that they're marketing. Got a delay here. Okay, it's a delay on my end, but it's showing up for me, which is great. So um, I spoke to this a little bit, but I'll reiterate it here. Brian asks, the top concern for parents is campus safety. Does this mean safety from bullying, safety from gang-related activity, or safety from outside actors coming into the school? Was there any open-ended feedback from parents? So it is the last one, um, outside actors coming into the school and harming children. We did not have open-ended responses specific to this question, but we did ask an open-ended question as a follow-up to why did you leave your previous school? What could they have done differently? That's where a lot of the references to school-to-home communication came up. And then we did see some references to campus security. So again, this is all about physical safety. Um, and this was an intentional change, as I mentioned, that we made, I think about two years ago, to differentiate campus security from social emotional support because they are so different. So social emotional support was still important to about 64% of families. So if you have supports in place for that, I would recommend speaking to it. It just wasn't as important as campus security. And then what do parents want to experience when they come to an open house in 2023? I mean, I think the, honestly, the answer to this one is fairly simple. I don't know that it's necessarily changed. If you look at the data around what they care about, you can find some clues there. Um, they want to know about academics. They want to know about campus security. They want to know um, about social emotional support. They More than anything, they just, they want to know, will my child fit in here? Will they make friends? Will they thrive? Whatever thriving looks like. And that if, if you're a school that specializes in dyslexia, what parents want to experience at your open house is going to be very different from what they want to experience at an open house for a school that doesn't necessarily cater to neurodiverse students, right? So it's very different. I think some ways that you can start to tease out what the parents who are looking at your school specifically want is by asking them. I'm a really big fan of asking questions. That's actually going to um, be a response to one of the upcoming questions that was that was pre-asked. I, I just, I think you have to ask them. You know, you have to survey them and say like, what worked, what didn't work, what what would you, what did you want to hear that we didn't speak to? But for a lot of families in general, regardless of what type of school you are, those themes are the same. Those themes are the same and they want you to be respectful of your time. So I'm always a big stickler for starting and ending on time. And again, when you go through that auditing process and you start to see things like people starting to look at their phones and check their email 30 minutes in, that can be a, a, a clue that your, your event is a little too long. 
And then this last question before we get to live audience questions is, what is the best way to find out if prospects are considering other schools? And if so, which ones? And so again, I would ask them, and there are two ways that you can approach this. You can either include it right out of the gate in your inquiry form. Um, I'm a huge advocate for short inquiry forms, but it's very easy to say, you know, how many other schools are you considering with a couple of options? Do you mind sharing which ones? Nice and simple. It's just adding two questions. You can make the second one optional. That way you can at least get a sense for what the, um, what the number looks like in your specific situation. Or if you have a really solid idea of who your peer schools truly are, you can give them options. And so the other way to do it is with an applicant survey that can actually help you get those options. So if you're surveying people who have applied whether or not they enroll, because that will give you an idea of what that list should be. And also to go back to what I said a few slides ago, whether or not your peer schools are who you actually think that they are. But I would just ask, and I've found in the past, most parents don't mind telling you another way to do it is to just target the families who apply and don't enroll and asking, where did you end up going? And that can help you to get a pretty robust list. Okay, so here we are with my QR code again. I am going to pull up, oh my goodness, so many questions. So I will try to get through as many as I can in the next 10 minutes. Um, okay, so one of these questions is, what were the options for parents to choose from regarding why they left their previous schools? That is a really good question and I have to find it. So we had academic opportunities, another local school earning a higher ranking, athletics, campus safety concerns, class sizes were too large, cost, disciplinary approach, fine arts opportunities, lack of diversity, lack of mental health counseling or other support staff, social challenges at school, teacher administrative turnover. Those were the options. Okay, how has the percentage of respondents to, I only considered my local public school changed over the past couple of years? Oh, that's a good question. Um, without having the previous year's surveys in front of me, I cannot answer that definitively, but they are available on our blog. Um, so, you know, you're welcome to, to snag those on your own if you have the time. I believe it's gone down every year, if I'm being completely honest. So I wanna, you know, be fully transparent about that. Um, with a disclaimer that when we filtered by income, I can't remember if I referenced this during the income question, but it was the people who were in that low to middle income range were actually the most likely to say that they only considered public schools and they were the most likely to consider charter schools. Um, but I would have to I would have to go back and look at the past few years to be to give you a definitive answer on that. I'm sorry, I don't have that off the top of my head. It 
Isn't it possible that the results from the preferred online research tool question may be skewed because the targeted the survey targeted families using these very platforms? I would say honestly, not necessarily. I know that that's a very valid concern. Um, and if we didn't have some families who said, I didn't use these things at all, which we absolutely did, um, that would definitely be a red flag for me. And if this didn't align with other data around consumer behavior, right? And so I don't have it off the top of my head, but there's a lot of data from Gallup to um, organizations that focus um, specifically on consumer purchasing habits that shows that people rely very heavily on reviews for pretty much everything else. So if those numbers weren't as high, but we were seeing that people really cared about reviews for looking at schools, that would seem a little, that would be a head scratcher to me, but that's not what's happening. That just happens to be the way that people shop, quote unquote, for anything that they're looking to purchase. So I that is not, it's something that we always, try to um, be very mindful of, and it, it, it hasn't proven out to be a huge challenge up to this point. How often do you suggest doing admission events before becoming too watered down? I think that's a tough question to answer globally because it really depends on a couple of things it depends on your specific region you know i don't know how many institutions you are competing with so to speak for prospective families um, it depends on the nature of the event so for example the school that i used to work for was pk through 12. so they do a lot of admission events because they serve three different age groups and they also do events that are more general information sessions and events that are very subject specific. So things around robotics, fine arts, athletics. So it's really, it's, it's a tough question to answer. Um, I, I can't give a definitive answer to everyone. I think it really depends on the audience that you're serving, you know, based on the grades that you serve the mix of your events which if you don't if you're just doing an open house every month or something like that you should probably mix it up a little bit um and if you're doing events that cater to parents versus events that cater to students you know because those are two very different audiences that you should be treating the same way Are there any competitive research services available to benchmark paid media spend to other schools in your peer school set? Would like to understand the range of marketing spend by competitors to assess how we compare. So yes and no. Um, and the reason why I say yes <laughs> is that we do a professional survey every year um, where we ask specifically about what people pay for various digital marketing tactics and what they pay for traditional marketing tactics, what their budgets are. And we segment that by school size. Once you get into, as I mentioned earlier, specific school sizes in specific markets, um, drill down even further if we're just talking about Catholic schools or we're just talking about, you know, even public schools, you end up with a really small number. 
And so that's not always necessarily helpful. The other thing is if you were trying to understand what your direct peer schools are spending on marketing, I don't know how that's possible without asking them. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't know because they don't own their budgets or they don't track it. And so this is why it's really, that's where the no part comes <laughs> into place. So there are people who track K-12 marketing information. We are one of them. Uh, Mission and Data, which I mentioned, is another. I don't know of too many others, to be completely honest with you. K-12 marketing and enrollment data is something that historically there, ha there just hasn't been a lot of. Um, so it would be really, really hard to find. Um, but hopefully that, that professional survey or state of enrollment and marketing survey that's coming out next month will at least give you a place to start. Okay, I believe I got through everyone. Um, and we are at three minutes. So if anyone has a last minute question that they want to drop in, please do so now. Otherwise, I will go ahead and wrap us up. If you had a question that I couldn't answer just because I didn't have the information in front of me and you want to send me an email, please feel free to do that. I'm happy to provide support um, in that way. And then, oh boy, we just had a whole bunch come through. Okay, if you have a very specific question about developing your specific marketing strategy, um, that is something I'm happy to talk to you about offline just because I don't want to, I want to make sure that we're addressing questions that can be helpful for the broader group. High tuition costs. So basically, we the the range that we did was um, as low as five thousand dollars or less, all the way up to sixty thousand dollars, and that fifty to I mean, high is relative, <laughs> but fifty to sixty thousand dollars is where we would typically categorize as high. Was this recorded? Will it be shared? Yes and yes tomorrow. What is the best way to raise our grade on niche? Um, so we don't typically do a whole bunch of niche specific questions on these because we don't usually have enough time. Um, but there isn't actually an exact art and science to raising your grade on niche, so to speak. It's not something you can pay for. It's There's not a way to really game the system, so to speak. Um, the best thing that you can do is claim your profile and make sure that your data is current so that when our data team goes through its analysis every summer to release grades and ranks in the fall, they're working with the most accurate information.